Do you want to know how to steer through a tough market without a college degree? Ever wondered if there are strategies to more than triple your six-figure salary? Perhaps you're curious about hearing the experiences of someone who worked at Microsoft, Twitter, Peloton, and Salesforce without a degree. If these thoughts have crossed your mind, then you're in for a treat today. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. I'm Janai Iqbal, and I share the successful journeys of individuals who prove that a traditional educational route isn't the only route to success. Today, we have a returning guest, Jay Taylor. He first came on the No Degree Podcast for episode 30 in September 2020. Jay will share the lessons he learned about navigating the job search during a bad economy. Jay will reveal insights he learned and how he is going to future-proof himself. Wondering how that's possible? Interested in unlocking the secrets to Jay's rapid career growth? Curious about what goes on at a company like Twitter and Peloton at the highest level? Tune in as we go through Jay's inspiring journey and discover the strategies behind his success. Here's a chance for you to get a unique roadmap that guarantees success. Welcome to a chat full of insights and practical advice designed to inspire you to pave your own path on the No Degree Podcast. Let's get started. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. I want to personally thank you for tuning in and supporting our show. If you haven't yet, hit that follow or subscribe button. I encourage you, don't keep this to yourself. Share these inspiring stories with your friends. Invite them to subscribe and connect with us on social media. So today, I have a return guest. Jay Taylor, he was episode number 30, uh, which was released in September 2020. So I'm bringing him back almost over three years later, and it's been a journey. Yeah, man, it's it's been a wild three years. Lots of lessons, lots of changes. Plus, we you know throw a pandemic in the middle of that and some of the biggest tech layoffs in history. Uh, yeah, it's been a crazy, crazy few years. So yeah, like I was at Salesforce, um, Director of Product Management. Um, and data platform stuff, you know, I was there and it was almost too comfortable, you know, and I, and I was thinking about, okay, I need growth. I, you know, I always talk about the importance of growth. So I wanted to try something different, you know, like let's go out. I was at uh, Salesforce for about two years. I wanted something a little bit faster pace. I wanted to have more impact and I, and I've worked for a lot of really big companies. So even before Salesforce, I was at Microsoft and really large companies, sometimes it's really hard to have impact. So my theory was that if I went to a smaller company that was reputable, that I could have more impact. And I chose Twitter. Interestingly enough, what happened was I, I was doing my thing on LinkedIn. So I, I make a lot of LinkedIn content. I love to share mentorship and stories on LinkedIn. You know, and I have my mentor mesh community, which is a big part of how I give back and, and provide mentorship and programs and whatnot. But I was just doing my thing on LinkedIn, networking, meeting people, and I ran into somebody that said they were an investor. And at the time, I was thinking, you know, I would love to invest. You know, I have some extra money. How do you invest? And so I saw this guy, and I reached out to him, and I said, hey, you know, I see you're an investor. You know, I'd love to talk about how you do that, how you got into it. And it was funny, because instead of addressing my question, he was like, hey, you looking for a job? (laughs) And I was like... I go, I don't know. I mean, maybe. I mean, it depends on the job. Yeah. Uh, low key, it wasn't on his profile, but he was uh, a senior leader at Twitter. And so we started talking and he was like, yeah, you know, I'm building a team and I love your skill set. He kind of looked at my profile 
And so that conversation started, you know, I applied for a role on his team and I got the job. And so I went over to Twitter. And one of the reasons I was interested in Twitter is like I said, it was smaller. So uh, Salesforce at the time was like 50,000 people. Microsoft before that was like 200,000 people. Twitter was like 8,000 people. So it was substantially smaller than what I'd been in. And my theory was that because it's smaller, I could have more impact, easier to get to know people, not as many leaders, not as much bureaucracy. That was the theory. Going there was interesting. And of course, everybody knows like kind of what's happened since then. Uh, fortunately, I should say, I was not there during the Elon era, but right before it. Twitter had great culture. People were cool. Uh, I had never been in a more diverse company. I actually enjoyed it. The problem that happened with me, though, was that within two months of me landing that job, my boss left. Ah. He left. And, I, you know, not for any negative reason. He, he actually got some startup funding. So he went to do his thing, which was great for him. We, we still keep in touch. You know, but as you can imagine, you know, you follow good leaders. You know, whether or not you like your job or not, a lot of times depends on who you report to. And I loved him. But the new leader, um, he was all right but very different, different in the way that he thought about a lot of things. And some of my core philosophies that I care about at MentorMesh, he was kind of on the opposite side of the fence. You know, I love non-traditional backgrounds. I love diversity in tech. His philosophy was a little bit more traditional. Uh, nothing wrong with that, but just very different than me. That plus, at the time, Twitter was going through a really uh, large growth spurt. It was funny, when, when Elon got there, he was like, why is there so many people? Well, that's because we had just doubled the team because we had all these plans of doing amazing innovation at Twitter. You know, Twitter was stagnant for a long time and, and we had a pretty aggressive plan to do some really cool stuff. And I was a part of that hiring. And so that's why there were so many people. But there was definitely some dysfunction that made me feel like, you know, I don't know if this is the best fit for me. My boss left, which changed the culture. It's a lot of shifting. I was like, you know, in the long term, I don't think this is going to work out. And so I'm, I'm continuing to do my thing on, on LinkedIn. And then another opportunity kind of showed up, right? So the importance of public branding, I think, is can, can be super helpful. And Peloton found me, which is, you know, a whole other story, right? At the time, Peloton was killing it. And actually, I didn't even say what I was doing at Twitter. So I was a group product manager, and I managed developer experience at Twitter, which was great. Got me. It's still like a platform engineering type of job, which is kind of like the the domain I've been in for a while. But then I had an opportunity to be a senior director of platform engineering, um, still within product management at Peloton, and and the scope of the work went from instead of just owning a portion of platform engineering, I would lead product management for all of platform engineering, which was much larger scope, much more complexity, and at the time seemed like a a dream come true kind of job. So I went to, went to Peloton. Peloton was fantastic. Culture was great. Leadership was really good. My boss was super smart guy. My team, they're great. Culture at the company was great. Stock was like at $120. Life was good. Peloton was killing it. And then probably a few months into the role, COVID started to wind down a little bit. And unfortunately, I think Peloton tied itself too closely to home fitness. That was the perception. And so when people started going back outside, our stock like plummeted. I remember when it went to like $50 a share from 120. I mean, that's a substantial yeah. drop. I was like, okay, when this kind of stuff happens, layoffs are coming. And so I, I told my boss, I said, hey, 
in case this gets to layoffs, don't lay my team off, lay me off, because I won't have a problem getting a job, so no no worries. And I just hired a bunch of people that I used to work for Salesforce. I hired two product managers, yeah. another person from GoDaddy, and, and I just got them in the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, what a nightmare to, to, to convince these people yeah. of the amazing opportunity of Peloton just for me to lay them off. And I'm like, okay, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, just lay me off. It's no big deal. I'll find another job. So that is what ended up happening. So they were like, okay. What was cool about that experience is that I had some other senior leaders at Peloton. They saw my name on the layoff list and they actually got really upset because they were like, "There's why is Jay on this list? But I told them, I'm like, I volunteered yeah. to be on the list, so it's okay. So I get laid off in February 2022. This was right before the tech industry went yeah. just fell over. And if you look at like uh, um, layoffs.fyi, there's a chart there. It, it's funny. It shows like there was a little bit of layoffs, but barely any in February. Right after that is when yeah. tech started dumping everyone. So the next 12 to 18 months was very interesting. Like it was all of my contacts and people that I knew, every company was on a hiring yep. freeze, either low key or publicly. So that was a whole other phase that 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 kind of happened. But I'll pause there for a second because there's a lot with Twitter. There was a lot with Peloton. Volunteered to get laid off. And then there was definitely more that happened after that. But that was kind of the, the first half of the last three years. The crazy thing is, is that 2021, people were getting hired left and right, tw late 2020. And now it's a different market, right? Like now you need to prove a lot more than you did before, right? Where before you have to be good. Now you have to be like, you have to be great. You have to be different. And I looked at some stats, like companies are getting three to 20 times more applications. Like my friend told me she's, she's a hiring manager at a company, very well-known technology tool. She said, someone posted on TikTok about the job. It went viral. Her post went viral. Job only, you know, nothing crazy, but a good early career job paid 24 to $36 an hour, 3,000 applications. <laughs> you know, it's, it's wild, right? It's, it's tough. Like, even if you're so amazing, how do you even filter? Like 3,000 is like, it's, it's a different ballgame. You're competing with someone's cousin. You're competing with someone's nephew. It's just, that's what happens when it, when it gets to that amount of applications. Yeah, yeah. You're totally right. And you know what's funny is prior to the, all the big tech layoffs, the tech industry was booming. You know, We yeah. were growing. And it was like talent was yeah. hard to find. So yeah. employers were competing for you. So you could, you could get 20, 30, 40% bumps year after year, which yeah. I did. You know, I went from yeah. Microsoft to Salesforce to Twitter to Peloton and tripled what I made at Microsoft in a very short time. But it's interesting because when it flipped and now it's an employer-driven economy where there's a lot more talent, it does change the game a little bit. A lot of the things that I say, though, I still double down on because I think that yeah. if, especially if there's 3,000 applicants, your network is yep. still going to be even more important because you can't, definitely can't get in line. You yeah. never should have got in line to begin with, <laughs> but you definitely can't get in line now. So the only way you're yeah. ever going to get an interview is if you know someone, right? Yeah. So for sure. Now, how was it in this market? And you've seen markets, right? Because you're you've been around. You've seen like, the market in 08 and a lot of people who've had careers, they haven't seen these markets, right? They've only kind of seen, you know, like an up market. And then, you know, people ask me, when is it going to get better? I was like, yo, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know. Anybody who tells you they know, 
doesn't know. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny um, because I definitely learned some lessons. I think the same principles that apply during a very lucrative market still apply when the, when the industry and the, and the market is, is harder. But I have some tweaks, you know, some, some lessons learned, some things that I never thought about before that I learned, yeah. I think, during this down tech market. And I can share some of those if you want to hear. Yeah, let's go share. Yeah. Here's the thing that's interesting with layoffs. It's easy to think that the company might lay off its lowest or less valuable employees, right? Yeah. There's a little bit of truth to that. Because what happens is managers that are approached and they're told, now granted, it's going to be different in every company, but they're told like, hey, you got 10 people, you got to let two of them go, right? Something like that. And you got to pick which two. Now, in that scenario, obviously, a manager is going to, they're not going to pick their, their stars. They're going to pick people that they feel like they can live without. That does happen. But a lot of times, people that make those decisions are way far away from that team. So let's say the person that's asked is a VP of engineering that owns the work for 200 people. They don't know every individual. So they can't really know who the low performers are. They can look at performance metrics and blah, 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 but they really don't know. And they may not want to tell their direct reports that a layoff yeah. is even coming, which means they have to make those decisions potentially on their own, especially if one of their direct reports is part of yeah. the discussion, right? So sometimes like really high level people that are far away from the details will get rid of entire organizations with the good and bad people. And that really stinks. So just because you're a high performer doesn't mean you're safe during a layoff. If you happen to be yeah. on a team that's being rifted, like, you know, Google Stadia, it was the next gen gaming platform by Google. I, yep. man, I bought a Google Stadia. I had two, three controllers. I was ready. They riffed that whole thing. And think about the excitement probably when they first did that. I'm sure a lot of top level engineers from Google probably yeah. went there to Stadia thinking that this was going to be it. And they got, ended up getting laid off. The reason I'm talking about that is, this is where your reputation in the company starts to matter. So I have friends that went to popular companies, but they'd only been there like three months, four months. Yeah. Guess who's getting laid off first? They have not been there long enough to establish a reputation to even prove that they're worth keeping. Maybe they're rock stars, but they just got there. They're still yeah. learning the ropes. So even if they are rock stars, they haven't had enough time to prove it. And so a lot of people that I know that were brand new in roles were part of those layoffs because they didn't have enough time to build reputation. So it made me start to think about, you know, I love to talk about aggressively pursuing growth. It's all about growth. But yeah. then the question always is, how long should you stay at a company? Because if you leave too soon, will they invite you back? If you were only there for six months, they're not going to invite you back. I mean, take it with a grain of salt, right? There's always going to be outliers, but generally- yeah. They may question your loyalty. They may be concerned you would leave too fast if you weren't there long enough, right? So it made me kind of think about, well, I definitely believe in aggressively pursuing growth. But I do think there's probably a set amount of time that you should stay with the company to build a good enough of a reputation so that, number one, if the economy gets tight again, when it gets tight, yeah. companies focus on what makes them money. All the experimental stuff goes out the window and they, they double down on what they know works. But if you are at a company long enough to establish and build a good reputation, I think that's a good idea. So I think even for me, like yeah. I would probably, because I, I hopped around a lot pretty quickly and I wasn't really thinking too much yeah. about building rep because the, the economy was so good. But in yeah. hindsight, I think, you know, I would probably stay at a company for at least probably two years long enough so that if I did leave, 
I was there enough to build a good enough reputation that they would invite me back. And I think that matters a lot too. Because when there's a down economy and layoffs start to happen, I want to know that I've been there long enough that people understand my value and my worth. But if I only been there five minutes, I'm an easy layoff decision. That's one of the things that, that, that I've kind of thought about too. Are you frustrated with your job search? Are you sending out resume after resume with no callbacks? If so, I have some good news. After three years of helping over 400 people land jobs at places like Meta, HubSpot, Google, Twitter, Amazon, Tesla, Disney, Sony, I created a course. In the Get Your Dream Career course, you'll discover best practices for creating a resume that stands out and you'll also learn how to optimize your job search. It covers every aspect of the job, including resumes, application strategy, networking, LinkedIn profile optimization, interview guidance, and salary negotiation. You will also get a behind-the-scenes view of how recruiters use LinkedIn to find candidates. And of course, you'll get resume and cover letter templates. Get one step closer to your dream job. Sign up at the link in the notes below. You know what? I I like that because I always find that it's a balance. Now versus the future. And I've seen it. And you got to figure out, right? If you're getting like a crazy increase, look, you got to pay the bills. You got to pay. But I I find that there's also some points where it's like, I've seen some people like, oh, I'm going to leave for an extra 10K. And it it depends. If you're making 200K, leaving for 10K is like literally nothing. Like after taxes, it's nothing. So it's like, you also have to think about what's also going to be, what's going to build for the future. Like I'm in an experimental area. Like there are people now AI is hot, right? There was something else that was hot before, like, you know, cloud is hot. So you got to think like, hey, what has staying power, right? Like your area, platform engineering is going to be there (laughs) regardless of how AI does, what's the next hot thing. Developers, you need to have platforms that companies use, right? And you need someone who has expertise and it's a competitive area. So I think it's it's important to kind of like find the balance of like, what is this opportunity going to do? And it also takes time to build skills, right? I think like if you're at a company like the three to six months, it's hard to have the impact. It's hard to kind of say like, this is what I did because there's only so much you could do, especially once you're at a high level. Projects take time. So I think like having that, you know, two years and again, during layoffs, they always like, hey, why didn't you stay long enough? And they just start doing that. And I always, what I tell people is choose safety during the down economies. And when things get hot, get that huge growth because you can grow so much when it's an up economy and really take advantage of that. Yeah, and and when things are tight and it's not a good time to transition, like continue learning and growing. So because, you know, the economy is always cyclical, right? It's it's gonna get better. Absolutely, it always gets better at some point. We don't know how long it's gonna stay down, but at some point it will go back up. So be ready, be better, be a better version of yourself when the economy gets better so that you can take advantage of the growth. So what's the next lesson? Yeah, And, and this is actually something that I told a lot of people. So back a few years ago, you know, when I started MentorMesh, um, product management, super hot. Everybody wants to be a yeah. product manager. They still oh, do. Yeah. Still hot. Man, everybody. Product, product, product. It's like nobody understood that, that tech is more than engineers. And once they yeah. discovered product management, everybody's like super excited about it. So a couple things I learned. T- two things. Um, first thing is, and I've always, and I actually knew this, but it, it, it's, it, it showed its head even more during a tight economy. For every one product manager, there's probably like 15 engineers. What that means is there are 50, like the, the, the likelihood of getting a product role is slimmer than getting an engineering role. Way more engineers than there are product people. 
So for every one person trying to be a product manager, there are 15, 10 to 15, 8 to 15 developer positions related to that one product manager. And I used to tell that to people all the time because I'm like, it's way, based on just ratios alone, it's easier to get a job in engineering than it is to get in product. And now that it's hot, everybody's trying to be a product manager, right? So, and that's actually why I ended up back in engineering. You know, now I'm a, I'm a senior manager of engineering. I'm not in product anymore. I'm in engineering. And that that works for me because I've always kind of like, I was always on the line. I've always been engineering and product. So, and I designed in, in a way my career that way because I actually like both. And the fundamental concepts that carry to both sides is leadership, which is why within MetroMesh, yeah. we talk a lot about leadership, your ability to influence people without authority. Um, tell a good story, build relationships. Both, all of those skills apply to engineering and product positions. But the reality is when when things get tough and tight, there are still going to be more engineering jobs than there are product jobs. And so for me, I went back to engineering. Now, the reason, um, there's a lot of reasons for that, and there's there's a story behind that, yeah. so we can talk about that too, but there's simply more jobs. And what I physically do every day, what I actually do every day hasn't changed I still arguably do a similar job than what I did when I was in product. What's different is that now I'm responsible for the implementation and software engineering. And I also have to contribute to the strategy. So product is a strategic leadership role. I am still a leader of a software engineering team, so I'm also responsible for strategy. I don't have a product team that's working with me. The difference is I have to be a lot more in the details. I think the main difference is there's a larger operational focus when you are in engineering because you own the service now. Like if it goes down, that's my problem. Whereas in product, I actually didn't care. That was someone else's problem. As an engineer, I have to care. So that's another thing. Like there's way more engineering jobs, which is why, like if you're if you're somebody new to the industry, I always encourage people. I know a lot of people think engineering is too hard. I would still challenge that because I would believe that like anything else, it's like learning a foreign language with surrounding yourself by the right people, repetition, practice, doing it. I think you can get, anyone can get a good level of expertise and technical expertise and then progress to something else. But yeah, engineering, that's where, that's where the jobs are still. You know, I, I, cause the thing about product is I see a lot of people going for product and people from all different types of backgrounds. The fact is as an engineer, you got to know the language, you got to know the frameworks, you got to have that specific experience or that domain level expertise where you in product manager, you're competing with people who are MBAs and all that, just all different types. And I see the product roles that are are open to less technical people. And I see the product roles that are very technical. The ones that are technical get a lot lower because it's like a lot of people don't know that. So it's, it's important to kind of think about those things. And also in down economies, they're going to prioritize the engineers over the product people. So it's like, get the product jobs when the economy's hot, but it's good to have those engineering skills. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting because when money is good, companies care about diversity. They care about yeah. the quality more. And, and I'm not saying that they don't care, of course, all yeah. the time. But when you don't have money, you will double down on what you know works. And you, we've seen these yeah. companies do that because they're trying to survive. They're trying to, and again, it's not even really survival. They're trying to, 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 to continue to get maximum profits and you got to cut the fat. You got to cut stuff that doesn't make money that's just draining your money. And so that's something to think about too. Like the skill set that you're, you're building, is it something that's going to be needed that's important to a company? You know, and, and you're right. Like I think platform engineering is, it's one of those things that helps a company move faster 
which means it's not going to go away just because the economy gets tighter. Matter of fact, I would argue that it would stay stable, maybe, maybe even grow because if you can't hire people, what do you do? You use automation. Yeah. That's what platform engineering teams build. Like we build automation so that a lot of the manual tasks that people do are now automated. And so arguably, do you invest more in software during down economies? Potentially, yeah, because you don't have as many people, so you need systems in place um, that can do that. So, so yeah, I you got to care about relevancy. You yeah. got to stay relevant if you want to be in demand. Yeah, you said the story about the sales because so when I interviewed you, you were at Salesforce. We interview again. You're back at Salesforce. Yeah, and you're at a specific division, Heroku. Yeah. So yeah, so me, yeah. Share me, that story. So what happened was. So I, I was laid off by Peloton. I thought I would just get a job right away because I actually, since I saw the kind of the writing on the wall, I started talking to some companies and I had some good vibes. You know, we were, I thought I was going to close on a couple of those companies, but then they all of a sudden got kind of quiet, which was weird. All of a sudden they were yeah. excited to talk to me and then kind of faded out. So I was like, what's going on? So what, what happened, what I think anyway, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Everybody started having hiring freezes, but they weren't really allowed to say that yet. Yep. Right. So a lot of these companies got quiet. So I was like, okay, well, in the meantime, I had some money in the bank, so things were okay. So I was like, well, I'm just going to continue to invest in MentorMesh. So I had been building this community with um, since I was at Salesforce. And so MentorMesh was kind of my full-time gig for a while. I'm like, you know, I really want to invest in my community. That's the reason why I built it. I wanted to help, you know, level people up, give them some advice, teach them things that, you know, I wish that I would have known. So that's what we did. So I ran a boot camp that summer. It was our first Mentor Mesh boot camp. It was a product management foundations boot camp. It was really cool. We got like I, I, there was like thirty people in the cohort. I brought fifteen, sixteen leaders from across the tech industry. We gave a bunch of talks. People from Google and Microsoft and Peloton and and LinkedIn and just a ton of companies. It was great, good time, um, great cohort. Got to meet some really good people in the community. And then I was, you know, after that, I was like, okay, well, I think it's probably time I should, you know, start making some money because, you know, bank account, bank accounts starting to get, yeah. you know, a little low. So I'm like, all right, let's, let's get back into this workforce. I started interviewing um, at a lot of companies. And it was interesting because I even learned a little bit about myself. I interviewed at Airbnb. Okay, now I remember my lesson, so I'll bring this up. Okay, let's go. <laughs> so what happened is, like, for me, I have a really good, like, leadership generalist type of skill set. Um, but also a lot of my focus has been like platform engineering. The thing is though, when people see product in my title, and this is true, like most people will say any product leader can do any product job. There's a lot of people that feel this way. And yeah. I think there's some truth to that, right? Like the fundamentals are the same. But the thing is about being in product though, is that you have to be, your job is to be a subject matter expert in a specific product domain, right? Yeah. So if the domain is brand new to you, that means you have to learn all those things. All that product intuition, those questions that you might ask, some of them might be relevant. But if you if you don't know the industry super well, you're going to have to learn that. So it's going to take you time. So I was applying for a bunch of product jobs in, in kind of different domains. And and what, what kept happening, and this is, again, the first time this has happened so often, because it was like three or four different jobs, I kept losing to specialists. So I had a lot of engineering experience and I had a lot of product experience and I could definitely do these jobs and I interviewed well, but then there would be someone else that was, let's say, equal to me in skill set. However, they had actually been in the very specific domain that I wasn't in. 
They had very specific domain expertise that I didn't have. And so they won. Um, that happened at a couple of different companies. And I kept, you know, I was like, man, what, why do I keep losing to these specialists? And, and I think it, it, it's literally because of the problem that we said earlier. There's 3,000 candidates. There was a time when finding somebody that had a really good base skill set was all that you needed. But when times are tight, they can find people with a really good base skill set and the very specific domain expertise because there's so many candidates, right? Yeah. So I, for about three different jobs, I was I was passed up on where I was like, they told me they were like, I was top three or top two, but there was like this yeah. one person that was like exactly, and I wasn't yeah. exactly, so that person won. Another thing that even happened was, <laughs> this was, this was heartbreaking. I did 15 rounds with Google. Oh my God. They said yes, verbally. The day that my packet was supposed to be approved, Google had a hiring freeze and laid off 10,000 people. And so my potential manager lost all of her headcount. She had like seven people she was going to hire, lost it yeah. all, all of it. Wow. And then there was another team at Google that was super interested in me. The director was like looking for money. He's like, he's like, just hang on. I just need to find something. Yeah. And he was looking and finally, you know, he couldn't find anything, you know? That was heartbreaking because I really, like, I studied hard. Yeah. And actually, I did pretty well on those interviews. Google's, I think, one of the toughest uh, companies to get into. And uh, the money, right? They just lost the money. Like, you can't control yeah. that, right? Um, but anyways, back to the specialist thing. When employers have the market, they can be very picky, you know? Yep. And so that's something that I think about, too. Like, you hear people talk about growing a career as like a T. Like, you pick a specialty. And then you broaden later in your career. Yeah. I can definitely see the value in doing that because when the economy gets tight, generalists are not as sought out, right? Yep. I'm not saying they don't have value. Of course they do. I'm a generalist. But if you have a specialty, you can fall back on that. So let's say you're this, you know, you, you're a generalist, you're a great leader, but then all the leadership positions are gone because mid-level management is going to disappear too, right? They're cutting, they're cutting, yeah. cutting. So they're cutting leadership roles. But let's say you have a really good skill set as an engineer or a designer, right? You can go back to that. Like, you know, I'm just going to do take a principal level designer position or, or senior level staff position um, as an IC, an individual contributor, and just do that for a while, sharpening your skills and wait until the economy finishes whatever it's doing. And then you can go back into leadership or whatever it is then. But if you're a generalist, again, like there's a debate as to the good and bad, but I think there's pros and cons. Yeah. I just found that that picking at least one domain that you're really good in. You maybe you're still a generalist, but pick something. Pick something that like you that nobody's going to beat you in. Because I tell you, that's something that yeah. is going to be different from this Jay Taylor. Like if the yeah. economy like it's going to recover, but if it ever hits again and I get in a position where I need to like you know interview for jobs, I am not yeah. going to get beat out by somebody that's got more domain experience. Like that's something yeah. I'm going to solve for like right now. Oh, I like that. And you know what? I've been telling a lot of people this. Down economies, choose that specialty. When it's a good economy, that's when you explore. That's when you choose a new thing. Pick up another domain area expertise, and now you have more areas to do in. So again, that's just how the market works, right? Right. And you know what's interesting too? Um, I was a senior director of product for um, Peloton. Now, product is a strategic leadership role. Like I said, your job is to, to figure out yeah. what are we building? What do our customers want? Why are we building this? And you decide what, what's going to be built. Um, not so much the implementation, but more the strategy, right? But if you are a senior director of product, it's very different than being a senior product manager. 
a senior mm. product manager or a lead product manager is very much in the weeds and they're very close to the product that they're building and they are building the strategy. But when you manage a team of product managers, my day-to-day job actually was not a lot of product management. It was more program management. I was organizing, unblocking, helping my team grow. I didn't have, my job wasn't the strategy for individual products. My job was the strategy for my team and platform engineering as a whole, but it's a different skill set. It actually feels more like program management. It's a little bit of project management plus, you know, growing people in careers. So that's mentorship, but a lot of it was organizing and tackling and blocking, you know, like helping people out. But it wasn't like, I wasn't writing um, product strategy documents at a detailed level in products. And I never thought about that until I took that role. And what was interesting is that when I started to interview at, at certain companies, I found myself sounding like a program manager, which actually in some cases was not good for me because what they really wanted was like, even though like, and that's another thing, just because some, a title says VP of product, or senior director of product, that doesn't mean that's actually what it is. Sometimes people will inflate the title so they can give you the compensation that you want. And that happens a lot if you're in big tech and you go to another industry because you made some money in big tech, they have to elevate your position. So essentially what's interesting is that in a lot of jobs, they'll do that. So you think you're walking into a senior director or VP role, but really what they need is a lead. So that's something to think about. Like the title doesn't always equate to the work that you're doing. However, when I was interviewing for a couple of roles, I would reflect a lot on my Peloton experience because I figured, you know, that was my most recent experience at the time. I thought about what I actually did. It wasn't a lot of product. And so I remember in one particular interview, that's actually the feedback I got. They were like, you sound like a program manager. We need a product manager. And I was like, and then the light bulb kind of went off. Leadership is a lot of program management. It is. You know, yes, there's strategy in there, but the reality is if you're a leader, you've got staff that are senior and principal ICs that can help quite a bit with the strategy. So a lot of your value is your ability to build good teams, create good culture, um, you know, build relationships within the company. That's not necessarily product management, you know, that's leadership. So there's some overlap, but anyways, it got me thinking about what that means. Like if you really want to be in product as a product manager, that is different than being a senior leader in product. Arguably, being senior leader in any role is going to be very similar. Like I said, building relationships in the company, building good teams, making sure the strategic direction is right. Like there's a lot of high level things that you focus on outside of the actual skill set that you're responsible for. Good to know. Good to know. I always tell people like the titles are not everything. I get clients and they're like, and I say, why are you leaving so quick? Well, they told me I was going to do this, but the work is nothing like that. And I've seen companies do that bait and switch because what are you going to do? It's like, okay, you either got to go find another job, but you're kind of stuck in this position or you got to, you got to stick it up. Now, what would you say has changed like from an up economy to like, did you have more interviews than you had before to get the roles? Like what were some other things that you saw changed? I'll tell you this, still all the interviews that I got came from connections, referrals, Uh, and my LinkedIn presence. I mean, if it was tough for me to get a job, I can imagine, yeah. and I've got, you know, great resume, you know, a great uh, companies on my resume. I can only imagine for people that don't have those, that, that same caliber of company, it's going to, it's going to be harder for you to get it, get noticed. Because if you have the right names on your resume, 
people make a lot of really good assumptions about you. It's a lot easier to get yeah. noticed if you've worked for reputable companies, which is a, honestly a really good reason to work for these types of companies at some point in your career, because it's about credibility. Like you're trying to build a public reputation. You know, your question was like, is anything different? You know, are, are were you thinking like during the economy or right now? Do you think? No, in terms of were the interviews harder? Where did you get more rounds? Did like now was the compensation not as high as the you know, economy? Like, it's interesting. I've heard a lot of people say that people are like undercutting or trying to pay less. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Um, I didn't see anybody um, trying to undercut. I still think they realize that like really good talent costs money, and I think they're willing to yeah. pay it. the The problem is though, like what I was saying earlier, there's there's a lot more competition. Like, so you're gonna have to stand out. And and again, that's why I think building a reputation and building a reputation based on trusted execution. You know, that's something that I say a lot. Because it's not just about people liking you. It's about them having experience working with you and you delivering, right? And if you do what you say you were going to do and you're consistent and, and reliable and you've got good ideas and you're collaborative, like they remember that stuff. So if you build that type of reputation, it's much easier to get a job because somebody having a good resume doesn't speak to their work ethic. It doesn't mean that they're reliable, dependable. I work with a lot of engineers in my lifetime that are brilliant but it's hard to get them to work hard. Yeah. You know, and as a hiring manager, I can't tell if you're a hard worker because you're smart. Cause there's a lot of talkers. Like big tech is full of people yeah. that don't work, but sound smart. Cause they are smart and they've realized that they yeah. can play that game. Just sound smart and don't do anything. And, you know, so that's why building a trusted reputation matters. Cause then when times get tough, your referrals remember your character. You know, and you can you can cut the line because they would rather hire you who they know and have seen do good work versus a stranger that looks good, but they're not sure, right? And that actually brings me to a really important point I do want to bring because this kind of falls into like a really lesson that I think everybody should think about because the thing about like working in big tech is that things shift a lot. Layoffs happen. Even when the economy is good, there's still a lot of turmoil, but the turmoil is reorgs. New leaders come and, and teams are taken apart and they're reassembled and given yeah. a new name. And then six months later, another leader comes in, pulls it apart, puts it back together, given a new name. That's going to happen like all the time. As an employee, that can be really, really stressful. Like I can give you yeah. a lot of stories about where I put my heart into what I was doing just for it to get ripped up by some new person that just showed up. That's always going to happen. Okay. And that, I want to tell people that like, that is, that is the way that fast moving companies are. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but I am saying it's the way that I, I've always seen it. Right. So the most important thing you can do as an employee is build reputation with your colleagues and your management, but I would say colleagues, here's why that's going to help you. So your goal is not to just deliver the thing. Your goal is to build a credible reputation in the company. Because that is what gives you the freedom to move around in the company. Other people in the company will want to snag you up. There's so much opportunity because you've built a credible reputation. So the way they're related, though, is by delivering and you know products and building good software and being a good IC or, or a good worker, by delivering and being good at your job, you are building reputation, right? But let's say you, you're at Google Stadia and you're, you're, you're out here killing it right? You're, you're doing your thing and you're delivering. 
Remember that your value to that company is not whether or not you delivered Google Stadia. Google Stadia might go away, but when it goes away, hopefully you've built an incredible reputation by delivering the things that you did deliver. And that reputation is what's going to carry you hopefully to another team to do something different because they're going to grab you. They're like, I know we're not doing that anymore, but you know what? Let's grab this person because they were fantastic. To me, I think that's the way people should think about it because it's not lost work. Because I think what happens is you put all this blood, sweat, and tears into this project and then it gets ripped from you or something happens and now you feel like everything was lost and it's a waste. It was not a waste because what you actually should care about is the reputation you built with your colleagues. Now, what that also means is be collaborative, care about those relationships. Some people have this idea that it's all about delivering. It's all about delivery, delivery. No, it's not. Delivery is how you build good reputation. It's all about reputation. Reputation is what will save you from layoffs. Reputation is what will give you promotions, right? It's not that you delivered the one thing. That thing that you delivered contributed to your reputation. So the way you deal with people, the way you talk to people, the way you collaborate or don't, the way you respond to criticism, every interaction you have with anyone is an opportunity to build credibility and to build your reputation. So it matters. Yes, we want to deliver. Of course, there's no company without delivery. But the reason you deliver is to build a reputation with your colleagues. And the way that helps you too is, again, like let's say people get laid off, right? People get laid off. They go to different companies. Guess what? They're going to remember you. And they're going to go to this new company and this new opportunity. And they're going to remember, man, I worked with this one engineer or this one PM that was a rock star. We should hire that person. That's how you get that. But it's also kind of of how I think people need to change the way they think. Because I've worked with a lot of people where they feel like the only way to be successful is to they have to deliver this thing. But they got to remember that's only part of the puzzle because you will not get the recognition you think you're going to get if you're leaving bodies in the wake as you are delivering this project, right? So the goal is to build reputation internally in the company because if stuff goes sideways, they're going to remember your work ethic. They're going to remember your value. And that matters a lot, especially when times are tough. Yeah, people talk. Now, let's talk about MentorMesh because when we started, when we interviewed last time, you didn't start it. And it was just like you kind of had an idea. How was it? growing a community like that. Yeah, man. So we're we're at about, we're over 6,000 members right now. I ran a bunch of different programs trying to find the right fit for the type of vibe that I was looking for. And, you know, I tell you, like, there's a lot of communities out there that are sharing knowledge. Man. And I think that you can go to YouTube, you can Google stuff. There's a lot yeah. of curated courses out there. So I didn't really want to do that, you know, because I feel like there's enough of that type of content. And it's good content. There's great content that's out there. Yeah. But there's some missing pieces, man. There there are some critical missing pieces that that's what I wanted to double down on. So I've already talked about it a lot. How do you build reputation inside a company and outside a company? How do you build a reputation so that opportunities find you? Because still, all of the opportunities that I've gotten, you know, I don't apply for these jobs. They come to me and then I go through the process, right? And I want, I want people to understand all of the things that they should do in order to get the opportunities, to get the interview, right? Posting on LinkedIn, utilizing Twitter, building quality relationships and communities. Like all of that stuff is really important. How do I get people connected to other people so that we're not all building community or, 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 or moving through our careers by ourselves? That's what we don't want. If you've got a team with you, 
that is unrelated to where you work, but it's it's your team and everybody works at different places. You get exposure to different perspectives. You grow faster. And that team is your team regardless of where you work. These are your people, you know? That's the vibe that MentorMesh is about. It's about, you know, creating a close-knit community of people that are growing in tech, new people, mid-level people, senior people. We get together. We build relationships with each other. We work on projects together. We help each other level up. Because even if you work with someone in a community, you get a good sense of their work ethic and you are more likely even to refer them, right? Because you've you've done some community work with them. So one of the really cool milestones for for last year is we did our first in-person tech conference, which of course you were very aware of because you were there. Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much for being there and being one of our speakers. Mentor Mesh has always been online and the pandemic was starting to wind down. So I was like, you know, even when I think about my career, some of the best moments in my tech career were at conferences. Like you can learn a lot, meet people. It's such a great thing. And I'm like, you know, what if we created a conference that wasn't just about the education? It was about that vibe. It was about building quality relationships with people and helping each other level up in their career. So that's what we did, man. We had our first in-person tech conference in Seattle. You were there. We had a bunch of great speakers um, from Salesforce and Microsoft and IBM and Eventbrite was one of our sponsors. It was an incredible event, like a lot of work. I had never done an in-person event before. Yeah. A lot of things I would do differently, but ultimately it is how I ended up at Heroku uh, because I had one of the VPs of engineering gave one of our keynotes. Um, and after the conference, you know, she was super impressed with what we were doing and, you know, one thing led to another. And then, you know, here I am at Heroku. What's in the future for you now? Because now it's, You've been through a lot of different roles. You've been through the ups and downs. Yeah. What are you looking forward to? So I love Heroku. Heroku's been great. Great, great company. It's growing. So kind of like what I said before, I am not going to get beat on domain expertise ever again. Okay. That's not happening. So you're going to be the platform engineering guy. Done. Right. Like, so that's one of my personal goals. Nobody's going to hold a candle to me, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to do that. So that's part of my goal. I want to. Continue to obviously build my leadership skills, and and I'm going to do that at Heroku. It's got a great leadership team. Really love the team. Um, leadership team there is really cool. So I think I'll have a lot to learn there. So definitely doing that. But I'm definitely also double downing on Mentor Mesh. So um, we're going to do another conference in Seattle in 2024. So this year, probably. I'll be there. Probably uh, in fall. Yeah, man, I hope you definitely show up. That would be incredible. So we're going to do the conference. We're running uh, boot camps. I'm actually running a boot camp right now. Yep, um, UX design. Yeah, well, that's the book club. So we got a book club that's UX oh, design. Oh, that's the book, okay. I'm actually running a product and engineering boot camp right now. Um, okay. And a lot of that is because I found that these types of programs are a great great way to get people started. You know, like yeah. I help them learn how to build reputation. We talk about product management, program management, UX design, engineering, platform engineering, and data and AI. Because I kind of want to give people the whole scope of building something and what it's like to work for a company end-to-end. Because a lot of people, I think, have limited exposure to all of those different types of roles and things that you could do. So really the boot camp is to help people get started and learn leadership skills and meet people that are successful in the industry. Because I think that's the kind of the catalyst, right? Like mentorship is leadership is a big thing that I say. But yeah, man, we're going to do another conference this year. I'm hoping to make continue to make it an annual thing. I want it to feel like a family reunion, like we all come back together and yeah. we talk about our That's growth. what it felt like. 
Yeah. That's what it felt like. Yeah, like a lot of us we'd never met in person. Like you and I had met before, but a lot of the folks that came, you know, I'd known yeah. them for years. We'd never met in person. So, you know, I want that vibe. You know, I thought it was that was really cool. Yeah. So there's that. And then also I got some pretty cool news yesterday is that I was um selected to be a part of uh LinkedIn Top Voices. Nice. Which is a pretty exclusive group. From what I understand, they only pick maybe 300 people every year. And yeah. it's it's pretty exciting because, you know, I get to meet with uh, LinkedIn uh, later on this month. And, you know, I'm hoping that'll be an opportunity to kind of reach more people, um, bring them to MentorMesh and continue to build like a really strong community because we don't need like a, a gigantic community. What I care about is is helping people grow, you know, like all of the people that are entry level now. Tech moves fast. A few years from now, they're going to be the senior engineers, the senior product managers, the directors, the VPs. Like, this is the next generation of leadership. And I love the idea of being able to tell that story. Like, this is how we started. This is where they are now. And look at the growth and look at the key to that, to that growth. So, you know, I'm looking forward to a lot more stories, a lot more success in people. And a really cool 2024 conference, man. I think I think it's going to be a good year. I think a lot of things have changed in a positive way. And I'd like to think that the economy is starting to get a little bit better on the tech front. It seems that the layoffs are still happening, but they're less than they were, you know, like last yeah. year. And then regardless, up-down economy, you should always be building relationships. You should be upskilling. You should be building your skills so that whenever things happen. And I tell people there's always opportunity in all economies. There's always companies raising money. There's departments growing, right? Like there are areas that still need workers. Yep. Absolutely. There's always opportunity. But I would argue too, that like when there's a downed economy, your network matters even more. Yep. It, even, even more. So when times are good, still network, meet people, yeah. make sure they know your value and your worth. And so they'll vouch for you when things get tight. Like that's what you want. Thank you so much for your time. Can't wait to do a part three. We'll do it before another three years. <laughs> but uh, uh, really looking forward to you know growing. And then for those of you who are listening, join the Mentor Mesh community. I'm a part of it. It's a great community. Especially if you don't have a degree, you can actually build a skill set. You can really network and you can really show that, hey, you have the work ethic and you have the knowledge to compete. MentorMesh.io. Everybody's welcome. It's free. Uh, we've got events all the time, free events. We've got programs, paid programs. We've got free programs. But it's really about building the community, like the, the people in the community. And, you know, Janai can vouch for this because um, he's been a part of it for years now. We've got good quality people that actually sincerely care about your growth. So if you're willing to come and do some work and, and you're serious about your transition, a lot of us come from non-traditional backgrounds, just like myself, no credentials, but have made it really far. And we want to show you how to do it. If you've got the persistence and consistency, you can do it. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Janai. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree INC. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem. 
nodegree.com.